Welcome to the Flourish Heights podcast, made for women by women. I'm your host, Valerie Adjamine, women's health dietitian and the founder of Flourish Heights. To be empowered in health starts with a true connection with your body. Together, we are breaking through topics surrounding periods, women's nutrition, body awareness, self-care, and much more. Let's flourish and be the best version of ourselves. Hey ladies. Okay. So y'all, I've been waiting to put out this episode. If you remember back in the summer, we hosted our Bloom Summit in Washington, DC, and we did a live podcast recording all about the surrogacy and egg donor process. So it's finally here. Okay. It's finally here. I got a chance to interview surrogacy and egg donor experts, Perla Pikatowski and Debbie Villafania, who were incredible, and they did a fantastic job of really breaking down the basics. I feel like there's just a lot of taboo around surrogacy and donor eggs. It's super controversial, lots of questions surrounding ethics, and much more. And I really wanted to bring this conversation to the light because I think it's just really important for women to be informed of all of the options out there, even the ones that are considered quote-unquote non-traditional. And let's not shame women for what they decide to do with their bodies either. During this conversation, because it was live in front of like hundreds of people, I was just ridiculously nervous throughout this entire conversation. Um, But I had a blast and it felt like a talk show. So you're going to love this one and let's get right into it. All right. So... This is the first live podcast recording of the Flourish Heights podcast. So I'm really excited. Give it up. Hello. Yes. Give it up for me. Okay. Today, I'm in conversation with Perla Pikatowski and Debbie Viafania. And, um, you know, they're experts in the egg donor and surrogacy process. When we first put out the details of this entire, you know, um, program for this summit, a lot of people were really excited about this segment because I think people are just very curious about these topics, surrogacy, egg donor, maybe they don't know much about it. We hear it from celebrities all the time. While I was doing my research, I found that there's a lot of laws and regulation around this, Um, you know, but we need to just have a basic understanding of it. So we're, we're doing a basics of surrogacy. <laughs> Dr. Sarhan is, is laughing right now. You both are women's health advocates and leaders. You're very well respected in this industry. Perla, um, you are the director of growth and engagement at Fairfax Surrogacy. Um, but there was a season in your life, just, you know, as I was reading a little bit about you, there was a season in your life when you and your husband were on your own journey to building your family, and this was through IVF. Very briefly, just tell us a little bit more about that. Well, Val, I want to start by thanking you for inviting us to share our story with all these beautiful people here today. Um, That is correct. My husband and I struggled to get pregnant. We had a long journey, not as long as many of our clients. Um, We started trying to get pregnant in 2007 when I was 33 years old. Um, And it didn't work. We tried naturally. um, Nothing was working. Then we started. The next step was starting charting. And we were checking on ovulation and temperature. And that didn't work either. 
And it is then when I was introduced to the third-party world. Um, I started working for a surrogacy agency. This concept was completely new to me. And this is when my colleagues um, recommended that I checked on my ovarian reserve to see if I had any eggs left and how my uterus looked and what the shape was and how my body was responding. And so I did that and I had a fertility, um, and a reproductive endocrinologist um, tell me that I had a beautiful uterus and I had a good ovarian reserve and I should be pregnant in no time. And so we did um, artificial insemination. We did four of those and none of them worked. And imagine, you know, I knew I had already started uh, working for the surrogacy agency and I knew that in this process you cannot make any promises. But still he got my hopes up and so it was very difficult each time that the process didn't work for us. It was very hard for us to process. Um, next step for us, we did IVF, and it was only after nine embryos that we got pregnant. So it was a, a journey, it was a roller coaster of emotions, but it helped us understand what other people go through, and uh, working uh, in the surrogacy process and helping couples through the other journey. Um, this personal process has given us that understanding so that we can show compassion and support all through that. And so what I do now is um, I work at a surrogacy agency and we help hold everybody's hands. We provide education, we provide support, we provide resources and uh, help them with the next steps that are um, so new. It's a new concept. Nobody gets to surrogacy by choice. It is after a series of failures that you finally decide to take this step. Yes. And, you know, I love reading about you on the website. You said that this journey to parenthood has given you an increased sense of empathy and appreciation for all people trying to create, you know, their own families through all the family building options. We want people to enjoy the experience and enjoy the, you know, the joy of parenthood and the chance to achieve their dreams. So I think that's really beautiful, the work that you're doing. Um, now, Debbie, you work at Fairfax Egg Bank, and um, that's the frozen egg donor program. You've worked there for nearly a decade. You have about 22 years of experience in the industry. So from managing the egg donor process to working directly with patients, what made you pursue this path? Sure. So first of all, thank you for inviting us to come here speak. All the stories are very inspirational. Um, I enjoy this and I would love to come back again. Um, but I fell into this industry a little over 22 years ago. I had no idea what it even was, what, it, what IVF was. I didn't know anything. I answered an ad. I lived in Chicago and answered an ad back when you still looked at ads and circled <laughs> and, and said, I'm going to go you know, call this. Um, I was young enough to be a donor when I first entered this industry. Now I need a donor, but um, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so I answered this ad, and um, when I got there, the position had already been filled. They said, but we have this other position maybe you'd be interested in. It was an IVF coordinator. First, I didn't even know what IVF was, but sure, I'll, I'll be an IVF coordinator. So they trained me, and I worked there. Um, it was just a fascinating industry. Um, I have not looked back. I've been in the medical industry since you know, very, probably 20 years old, uh, worked in pediatrics and cardiology and different divisions. But when I fell into the fertility industry, I never turned back. Um, I, it, you have to really have a passion for what you do. And I 
truly do have a passion for working in this industry. First off, started working with patients, um, working, helping um, men and women get through their IVF cycles and, you know, you, uh, screening donors and getting them through, helping them select a donor if that's the path that they had to take. Um, you know, working with the gestational carriers and, and you, it's emotional. You get, you get to know your patients. You get to, I'm still friends with many of my patients that I have um, worked with over the, over the years. Um, you know, I see their children growing up, and it's really a, an amazing industry to get involved with. Um, and then about 10 years ago, um, I switched solely to um, the donor egg recruitment, screening, and cycling. At Fairfax Egg Bank, when I first started working at the parent company, um, we were all just one company, one group. But then as Fairfax Egg Bank took off and started growing, we split off into different divisions. And when that happened, I went with um, the Fairfax Egg Bank. And I thought it was important um, for donors to be educated just as much as recipients need to be educated. And I really like the model that we have there. And I uh, appreciated um, you know, the screening that we do with the donors and the interaction that we have with the donors. And it's really within the whole 22 years of the industry that I've been working um, the, in the last 22 years, I really felt that what we do there really is there for the donor to educate them, to make sure they're healthy, and I liked that approach, so I stuck with Fairfax Egg Bank, and that's kind of where I'm going to be. Well, thank you both for sharing a little bit more about yourselves. Now, oftentimes when we hear about surrogacy, it's from celebrities like Kanye West and Kim, Kim Kardashian. They hired a surrogate to carry their third child. Um, with her first pregnancy, Kim suffered from preeclampsia, which is a serious blood pressure condition, um, and which forced her to deliver early in her pregnancy. And so after her Second pregnancy, her doctors advised against trying to become pregnant again. And then we had Sarah Jessica Parker. So she's an actress and um, her husband, they have the twin girls. They were both born via surrogate in 2009. Now this couple, they struggled with getting pregnant after their first child was born. Um, so Perla, um, I think the best way to start this conversation is by defining what is surrogacy. Um, how would you explain that to someone who's never heard of it before? Okay, so in order to have a baby, you need egg, sperm, and uterus. Surrogacy is when you have somebody else's uterus carry your baby. That's put simply, and if you want to get technical, is assisted reproduction through third party. That is the shortest answer I can give you. <laughs> Great. Do we understand that? Very, very simple, right? Okay, so there are several types of surrogacy options out there. I mean, I probably read up probably four, but we're going to go with the two most common, which is gestational surrogacy and traditional surrogacy. So can you break down, like, you know, what is the difference? Absolutely. So in traditional surrogacy, there is a genetic connection between the baby and the surrogate that is carrying that baby. So you're not only using her uterus, but you're also using her egg. And in gestational surrogacy, the carrier or surrogate is only carrying the baby, but she has absolutely no genetic connection to that baby. That, uh, the genetics may come from the uh, aspiring mom or a potential mom, or it may come from an egg donor, but it's not coming from the surrogate. She's just carrying the baby. Um, so we're going into the egg donor process. 
what is egg donation? I mean, what are the ways that donor eggs can be used to help people expand their families? Sure. Egg donation is when you're using somebody else's egg to achieve pregnancy. So you, you know, for many different reasons, whether you have a genetic condition that you don't want to pass along um, to a child, whether you um, have ovarian, um, uh, premature ovarian failure, whether you, you know, later in, in, in your in your age and you're not no longer able to use your own eggs, you would use another source, whether it's someone you know or go through an agency, um, have a known donor or, you know, or, or an egg bank. Um, you would use somebody else's eggs to achieve pregnancy. So who can actually be an egg donor? Um, what are like the ways that egg donors or donor eggs can be used um, to help people expand their families? Or, you know, what are that, are there any requirements rather yes. to this process? Yes, yes. So the very first panel that was up here with Dr. Sarhan and the other, um, you know, panelists that were up here, um, they pretty much talked about everything that's required even to be an egg donor. So we do have age requirements because age is very important. Um, we want to make sure that donors usually, um, not usually, always fall between a certain age group. So we recruit between the ages of 19 and 30. Sometimes you'll hear 21 to maybe 32. It just depends on the, on the center or the agency. Um, but those are our requirements. Um, we want to make sure that they're healthy, that their BMIs are within normal range, um, that they are able to provide three generations of family medical history. It's very important to know the donor's medical history and their family medical history. One, because we want to make sure that they're not, you know, passing on genetic, uh, not predisposed to genetic disorders that might be harmful or maybe upsetting or, you know, cause other issues down the line. Um, but also, when you go to, you know, as you're raising the child, you want to know what their genetic history is, what their, what, what, um, what they could be predisposed to, what, um, you know, different types of things to look for when, when um, raising a child and wanting to know some medical history about, about your child. Um, you know, we want to make sure they're in good mental health. We do have all of our donors are screened with a mental health prof- uh, provider. And um, just want to also make sure that they understand the ramifications of being a donor, right? It may sound good for something that you, you, they may say, yes, let's do it. Let's be an egg donor. But have you really thought about the process? What happens, you know, 10 years from now, 18 years from now, um, you know, these children, these donor can children start, you know, wanting to know information and wanting to contact, um, you know, who their donor is or get more information. And it, there's a lot to think about when it, when, it, when, it, when going into, when becoming an, an egg donor. So let's say you've been chosen to be an eligible egg donor, right? What, what happens next? Like give us like a walkthrough of this process after the screening, like you said, um, and like being accepted as, as one. So less than 1% of people that apply to our program actually make it through. So it's a quite a long process, and it's, um, you know, not for the faint of heart. It's a great program to be part of um, with any program, but um, you'll go through a screening process. You'll go through uh, a medical screening as well as uh, mental health screening, um, and then we do genetic screening as well and infectious disease, make sure all that, um, you know, looks good. And then once you've been accepted and approved to be a donor, then you will start the cycling process. So you go through exactly the same thing. You go through an IVF cycle that, um, you know, men and women go through as well um, to to achieve pregnancy um, when you're using um, ART. But the only difference is, is they don't go through the transfer portion of it. So when the eggs have been retrieved, then their cycle's done and complete. So that's an egg donation cycle. But they go through all the injections, all, all the visits, all the monitoring, same. 
it's a very long <laughs> and complex process. It is. Um, so while doing a bit of research, I found that like going way back medically, um, surrogacy was developed as a way for someone to carry a baby when the mother could not carry due to certain health conditions. So Perla, um, who should consider surrogacy? What are some of the requirements to be a surrogate? Anybody who cannot conceive naturally, who has been trying for a long time, or has a medical condition that could put their life at risk if they were to carry a pregnancy, should consider surrogacy. And obviously, you know, we have same-sex couples who don't have a uterus and need the help of a woman to carry their baby. As far as the requirements to become a surrogate, um, the main and most important uh, requirement is that she has had a pregnancy before and she had no complications during this pregnancy and delivery of her baby. Aside of that, you know, we want somebody who uh, is between a certain age range. Uh, for us, is between 21 and 42 years old. Um, it doesn't matter if she's single or married, as long as she has a good family support. Um, we only work with surrogates in the United States who are legal residents, and their body mass index needs to be a certain um, body mass index. Uh, for us, it's under 32. Um, other than that, you know, they're going to go through um, an evaluation. We would want them to be psychologically fit to carry this baby for someone else, understand that this is not a baby for them to keep, but they are going to give to somebody else. So there is a number of, um, of screening steps that we take in order to accept the surrogate. And just like Debbie talked about statistics with the egg donors, uh, we only take about 10% of the applicants. Uh, only, you know, after a number of steps in the screening process, only about 10% would pass the entire screening process to carry somebody else's baby. Wow, I did not know that. Um, and so I have been hearing of the term intended parents quite a lot throughout the research. And it's defined as individuals of couples who cannot conceive on their own and choose surrogacy to conceive a child and build their family. So what's required to be an uh, intended parent? What makes someone eligible to be an intended parent? Uh, you are correct. You know, a woman, a man, or a couple who, wants, uh, the, who needs the help of somebody else to have a baby would be considered an intended parent or intended parents or IPs. And um, what is required of them is first that they have a medical necessity to do this process. Um, they have to uh, be within a certain age range. In our program, we don't accept anybody over the age of 55 because we do have to think about the baby that will help them create and uh, parents to be available for them. They need to have a support system. Um, they need to have, in our program, it's very important that they have a relationship with the surrogate that is carrying the baby for them and that there is communication all throughout the process. And um, they also, just like the surrogates, they need to have a conversation with a mental health professional because um, they're relinquishing control over somebody else that they have never met before. Um, so it's very important that they cover those topics with um, a professional um, that is uh, very familiar with the emotional aspects of the process. 
So throughout the process, do the intended parents have a, like certain requirements or s- steps that have to be taken? And then part two of that is um, how does a surrogate match with an intended parent or intended parents? There are several factors that we take into consideration. Um, we have interviews with the women that want to become surrogates, and we have interviews with the intended parents. And we talk about what they are looking for in this process. Obviously, they want to have a baby at the end of the process, but what they envision for this journey. It's a long journey. It can be 15, 18 months. So what type of relationship they want to have with the surrogate during the process and after the baby is born? Um, how many embryos are they planning to transfer? You know, the industry professionals are going to recommend a single embryo transfer, but you do still get intended parents who want to transfer to embryos. So you have to talk about how many embryos the surrogate is willing to, how many babies the surrogate is willing to carry, and how many embryos the intended parents uh, want to transfer. We want to talk about, we want to look at the legal implications. Is it a same-sex couple using somebody else's genetics? Is it uh, an heterosexual couple using their own genetics? So there is a number of considerations. Um, Surrogates, for example, you're going to have a little bit of everything. You have surrogates who say, I want to help anybody who wants to have a baby. And then you're going to have others that say, I would prefer a domestic couple And if the couple is local to me, I would prefer that because I want them to go to as many doctor's appointments as possible. Or you may have somebody who says, "Um, I am in a same-sex relationship, so I would like to help somebody who is in a same-sex relationship. So whatever it may be, we have to look at the criteria of the surrogate. We have to look at the criteria of the intended parents. And then we have to see who is compatible with each other before we... uh, propose a potential match. Okay. it's a lot of stuff. (laughs) Now, switching back to you, Debbie, um, I've heard of the terms fresh and frozen uh, used in describing donor eggs. What's the difference? Are there any benefits of doing frozen versus fresh? Tell us more. Sure. Very uh, very good question. Um, Back in the early days when when donor egg was, was first utilized, they were called fresh cycles, meaning that the donor and the recipient would cycle at the same time. You would retrieve the donor's eggs, create the embryos, and then five days, three to five days later, transfer the embryos into the recipient. But they would cycle at the same time. That's a f- traditional fresh cycle. And then, um, you know, new... Um, Techniques started coming out, something called vitrification, which is a very fast freezing of eggs, even embryos, um, and which really made it possible for us to um, freeze eggs successfully and warm them and be able to use them. So when that technique started, um, you know, more than a decade ago, what, 20 years ago, uh, 15 years ago, um, it really made it possible to do what we now call frozen donor eggs, meaning that we'll cycle the donor, freeze the eggs, put them in a bank, and then have them there when someone wants to use them or needs to use them, whether they're using their own eggs, which also goes back to, you know, what we talked about earlier on the panel, um, if, uh, you know, a, a woman coming to freeze her own eggs, the same technique as, as, um, as that, where they, their eggs are frozen, they're frozen indefinitely until you're ready to use them. 
What about the risks and complications? Sure. So, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's no medical procedure without risks. So there are definitely, um, you know, some risks, although they're low, there are risks um, involved with being an egg donor. It's very important that the donor has a good relationship with their clinic, understands what she's doing, um, asks questions, is compliant. Um, there are, you know, some of the risks that are involved with being an egg donor. Um, ovarian hyperstimulation, which many people, um, some of you may or may not have ever heard of before. Um, That is, although it's low risk, that's probably the the most common thing we see. Um, You know, there's something called ovarian torsion where the ovaries can twist on you. That's extremely rare, but it can happen. So we do make sure the donors are educated on that and and how ways to prevent it. Uh, One of the other things that, you know, most people don't think of is um, pregnancy is definitely a possibility with egg donation with the donor. Um, And that is probably the only thing that's 100% preventable. And um, we do educate the donors on that as well, um, what causes that. So those are probably the most common things that you would see or some of the, some of the side effects you'd see. Now, um, will donating eggs actually affect someone's ability to have kids in the future? So that is one of the most frequently asked questions we have. Are you taking all of my eggs? Will I have any eggs left? Will I be able to have kids? Um, you know, throughout this process, one of the things that I think uh, we do a really good job at, um, at, at least where I am, is that we educate the donors. Because as you talked about on the very first panel, that people don't know their bodies, they don't know um, fertility, they don't know even how regular they are with their periods. Um, we have an opportunity to educate donors um, on this. And um, Donating your eggs does not cause infertility. It's not a cause of infertility. They should be able to have, you know, unless there's any other underlying issues that they might have, but the screening that they go through usually um, knocks out any type of infertility because that would be a disqualifier um, if they had abnormal periods, if they had PCOS, if they had um, other infertility issues that would kick them out of um, or disqualify them from being an, an egg donor. Great, great. So I know we have a few minutes left. I see my timekeeper putting up her time. (laughs) Okay, so um, now we didn't talk about, you know, the surrogacy side of things, right? So um, will being a surrogate affect their ability to carry their own child in the future? Practically speaking, no. Uh, Surrogacy is not dangerous, and an embryo transfer is not going to affect your ability to carry another pregnancy. However, just like with any pregnancy, there are risks. And so it's all about educating the surrogates and letting them know that it is important to consider that this may be their last pregnancy if there were any risks or complications. So we recommend that the surrogates have completed their own families before they become surrogates for somebody else. Okay, so uh, Perla, what health um, and lifestyle changes can a surrogate make to optimize the success of the surrogacy? Well, this was widely covered in the first panel. Just like with any other pregnancy, uh, just with anybody else trying to conceive, you want to look at your diet, exercising, reduce stress levels, and for surrogacy specifically, I would say follow your doctor's directions and the medication protocol to the T. Okay, and Debbie on the egg donor side? Same thing, Uh, you know, make sure your good mental health, um, out, you know, eating healthy and staying healthy and um, definitely follow the advice of your nurses and your physicians to make sure that you're doing everything you can and eliminating any, any risks or complications afterwards. 
Okay, so I want to touch on this very briefly because I know we're out of time, but fertility treatments are awfully expensive. Um, now, non-traditional paths to family building are expensive. How are people paying for this? Um, you know, celebrities, they got it like that. We know that. But, you know, um, a lot of people don't. And this path, you know, may be um, a great fit, but not ideal for their pocket. So, you know, does insurance cover? What are some options that are out there? Sure. Well, you know, what, here in this area, donor eggs really not covered. Um, there are very few states in the, in the country that do have donor egg, egg coverage. Um, again, it's, you know, it's not widely, ex uh, covered though. It is expensive. It's, you know, especially surrogacy. I'll let Perla speak on that, but, um, you know, just donor egg, if you're purchasing just a cohort of, of donor eggs, it's $16,000 for six to eight eggs. If you're going with an agency and you are having, you know, and that's not including your treatment because on top of that, you're paying your own physician and your own treatment. If you're using a surrogate, you're, it, there's even more. Yeah, it is. It's a very expensive uh, treatment. But there are um, financing companies out there that do help, that specialize uh, specifically in fertility treatments and helping you, um, you know, finance what you need for your medications, for your cycles, and so forth. Um, and I, Perla, you probably have that for surrogacy as well. Yeah. What, so, can you share a couple of those? Uh, I'm going to punt that one to Perla because I don't work with the financing companies. <laughs> So yeah, we have um, a couple of financing companies that we list on our website, um, but they don't cover the entire process. You may have to get several loans to cover the process. Insurance, unfortunately, won't cover a surrogacy process. Some uh, policies will cover the fertility treatment for you, so for the creation of your embryos. But when it comes to surrogacy, you get, um, the internet parents are typically uh, using their life savings. They may get a, a, a loan here and a loan there, help from family. And as someone mentioned earlier, their 401k. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Sarhan, she might, do you know some of the companies? I know, I don't, I know there's, Prosper is one of them. We use um, Future Family. Future Family, yeah. Egg Fund, those are a couple of companies that we use. For financing. Great, thank you both for sharing. Um, and so for, you know, what does the future of egg donor and the surrogacy process look like? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's going to be here for a while. You know, I do know, I don't, I, I know there's some things are changing as far as from the donor egg prospect um, perspective. Um, I don't know enough about it to talk about it here today, um, but I do know that there's more. It's mostly about the rights of donor-conceived children, uh, so we're going to start seeing a little bit of more of that come um, change in the future, but um, that's pretty much all I would have to talk about on that one. <laughs> do you want to add anything to that? Goodness. Um, the future is uncertain. Um, you know, with COVID, we saw a decline of uh, surrogates applying to become surrogates. And so that drove the competition. You know, there's so many people that need help. And so what that, the consequence to that was that the prices increased. The surrogates are getting compensated more. And so the cost for the internet parents is higher. Uh, we're trying to get back to normal, but with the recent changes, and women losing autonomy over their own bodies, we don't know what's gonna happen. It's, it's really uncertain. Certainly we'll continue advocating and uh, helping in any way we can. Um, what are some last words that you would both wanna share with our subscribers and those who are in the live audience? This is a wonderful summit. It's a 
support uh, for what you do. This is great. Um, you know, if, if you're interested in being an egg donor, don't be afraid to get out and learn more about it, but definitely educate yourself. If you need an egg donor, please talk to people. Um, you know, there's, it's, you know, fertility, especially around egg donation, is kind of, there's a taboo about that. It, don't be afraid to talk to people about it. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people that are, that are experiencing the same things that you're experiencing or, or uh, loved ones or friends. And just try to find that, that person that, um, whether it's a mental health provider or someone personally that you know, um, because someone, someone's out there that will share their story with you and, and don't be afraid to ask or to talk to someone about it. Um, for those trying to conceive, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Keep trying. There are options out there. Um, you know, as you can hear, um, fertility treatment is not the only option. You may need an egg donor. You may need a surrogate. But there are different ways to create a family, so uh, explore those options. And for those of you who have had pregnancies before and can help, please consider helping because there is a lot of people that need your help to have their family. Okay, so how are y'all feeling with this conversation? Very interesting stuff. I mean, I learned a lot from you guys today. So I'll just close off. This is one question that I like to ask all of our podcast uh, special guests that come on, and that is, how do you flourish? Debbie? Um, random acts of kindness. I love that. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Perla? Um, our relationships are really important to me and taking time for those relationships. Thank you both for sharing. Now, you both shared a wealth of information today. I know I learned a lot. Thank you both. Give it up for Perla and Debbie. So guys, what did you think? Our very first live podcast recording was such a huge success. Now, will we do it again? I don't know. I might need a couple shots before I get back on that stage, but just kidding, guys. But if you enjoyed today's episode all about the egg donor and surrogacy process, please, please leave some stars and a review. Share it with your girls. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in to our very first live podcast recording. And until next time, keep flourishing.